0: right, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Today is a most exciting day, because today is the day which we set aside every year uh, to worship the Lord in a a special way. We remember the fact that he didn't just die for us. We sing about that all the time. Uh, But we remember the fact that he... Came back to life, for he is risen just as he said he would. Matter of fact, that's what we looked at uh, this morning in the outdoor service uh, at the sunrise service. We looked at Matthew uh, 28 6. So, uh, the uh, Mar- um, uh, no, not Ma- Mary uh, goes to the tomb, and uh, there's an earthquake. The stone is rolled away. The angel is sitting up on the stone, and uh, the angel says, Who are you looking for? You're looking for Jesus. He came back to life just as he said he would. So we looked at that idea. That he is risen as he said in Matthew 28.6. But ponder this this morning, okay? So this is the question to kind of get your, uh, your brain moving this morning. Can we have salvation? Can we have the local church? Can we have Christianity without the resurrection? So, can we take um, what we know as, as the resurrection and just divorce it completely from, from our knowledge? Can we set it aside and say, you know what? I don't believe people can come back to life. Therefore, I don't believe that Jesus Christ came back to life. Can we just separate that idea out and just simply say, I believe that Jesus Christ came? And maybe that he was a good teacher, but I don't believe that he came back to life. Is it possible for you to be a believer and yet deny the resurrection? Let me just say, from the very beginning, the resurrection was believed. From the very beginning, the resurrection was believed. Believed. The apostles believed the resurrection because they saw it firsthand. So Jesus Christ did die. He was, in fact, ...buried in a tomb, and the rock was placed in front of the tomb... ...but the angels rolled back that rock. And uh, many people saw Jesus as resurrected. And why? Because he came back to life just as he said he would. Matter of fact, Peter says this. This is Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the, what, resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's no real way that we can divorce what we're talking about today and what we're celebrating today from the gospel. If we remove the resurrection from the gospel, then the gospel no longer stands. And we talked a little bit about why that was uh, this morning in the outdoor service or in the sunrise service. We'll talk about it a little bit more again today. This is what Paul says. This is from um, uh, Philippians 2 or 3, 20 and 21. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enabled him even to be subject to all things. And what I just want to point out here is uh, who will transform form our lonely body, so that's that's who we are right now to his glorious body that is his resurrected body and so this is what uh, paul says there will be a resurrection there was a resurrection for jesus christ and there will be a resurrection for believers one day and so paul says we can count on it and why does paul believe we can count on it ...because Jesus Christ came back to life. Again, if you divorce these ideas of the resurrection... ...and we just simply believe that Jesus Christ died for us... ...or that Jesus Christ was a good teacher... ...then then really we have uh, no hope. So we're actually going to be looking at that idea today. Our future resurrection is married to the fact... ...that Christ has been raised, that Christ came back to life... One of the pillars of the early church was just that. And that cannot be divorced from the gospel. It cannot be divorced from the church. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're just going to read just a couple of verses here this morning. And so if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3, and it says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day and according with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep." And it, When uh, Paul says that, he doesn't mean that they've actually gone to sleep. Uh, He means that they have passed away. Though, he says, there are many still alive that we could talk to uh, during his time that uh, saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for this very, very special and exciting time. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Lord, for Christians, for believers, this is such an important Sunday Because really, this gives us hope that we too will come back to life. That we too will live with you forever and ever. And why? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. Because he was buried and that he rose again. Showing us that one day we too will have a resurrection. And so Lord, as we kind of discuss this idea of of, uh, the resurrection and, and how it connects to Christianity. I pray that you would use your word as you see fit. And Lord, I do pray that as we gather together around your word, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that we would walk out the door today just excited because we serve a risen Savior. And so Lord, we do pray that you would meet with us today and use your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me give you a little bit of context about what is happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is is addressing some error in the church. And so there is uh, a, a wrong philosophy that has creeped into the church. And so Paul has to address that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we see the question in verse 12. So if you want to look down in your Bible in verse 12, I've also put it on the wall for you. And uh, this is the question. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? All right, so Paul asked that question. That was, that was a, 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 uh, a wrong belief in the church at this time. or There were some people, at least, that, that believed it. We'll talk about why that is in just a second. But this was the idea. They believed that Jesus Christ did, in fact, come back to life but they did not believe that believers would come back to life. And so so what would move them uh, to think that that there would be no resurrection from the dead? Well, according to the ancient Greek concept of immortality, human beings are a soul and only have a body. The idea is like riding a horse. The soul is the rider, the body is the horse. And so, so in the ancient Greek concept of this, ...when they looked at it, they they thought it this way. Right now, we're in prison in our bodies. But one day, when we pass away, we will be free from our bodies... ...and we will have true freedom. And so the ancient Greeks did not understand why we would be free from our body... ...but then be again imprisoned in a new body. They couldn't get past that... And so they begin to kind of communicate this, this false statement, which is, no, 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 we are not going to have a resurrection like you think we are. And so that's why Paul has to get into this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and, and talk to them about the fact that, yes, we will. We will come back to life. Jesus Christ had a physical body. We, too, will have a physical body. So this is, this is Paul's kind of thinking here. Well, first of all, this is their thinking Their thinking is, well, you know what? If I'm already free from my body, then that's what I just want to do. I want to be free from my body. I don't want to be uh, imprisoned in a body again. And Paul says, no, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Because you're going to give a new body, one that is after Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is really someone who's gone before us and showed us. And so what he does in, in this argument is we see that he calls forward a church creed. All right, a church creed, and we see this in in our reading today in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses three through six. Paul uses a church creed to argue the body, um, the bodily resurrection. And so, this is a good time to talk about what is a creed. Uh, we don't uh, have in in Christian circles these days. There's there's some groups that really they focus on creeds and a lot of. Uh, ...Christian groups that don't focus on creeds. So what is what is a creed? Well, a creed really gives us kind of like... ...some, some very important concepts and beliefs... ...that are, are repeated often. And so some churches, they use a creed like... ...every Sunday prior to the service... ...they actually have something that they will recite. It's a creed. It is their basic doctrine... And matter of fact, the school that I attended, we did a school creed several times a week. Maybe like four or five times a week. We recited the school creed, which included most of, if not all of, the major doctrines of the Bible. Of course, we don't do that here at Wilton Bible Church. We don't have a creed, but there was a creed back in the early church... And so that is what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the creed that we see in the early church. Again, so what is a creed? A Christian creed is a series of defined statements that expresses the core beliefs of Christians. They are the objective objective truth that all Christians believe. And what we're about to look at today when we look at this this, uh, uh, early church creed, this is something that all the churches at this time believed. And it's really the same thing that all Christian churches today believe. And so let's look at that creed. Let's first of all start in that very first part. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse uh, 3. That very first part, it says this. I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received. And so uh, Paul is, is communicating something that he himself has received. Now Paul here is using some technical terms... To, um, uh, to the idea of receiving and transmitting tradition such as this church creed. So one thing to note is that this church creed was around prior to Paul. This is not original to Paul. Uh, this is something that has been already around in the church. And remember, Paul was really there at the foundation of, of when the church was starting. He was one of the uh, guys that was really persecuting the church and trying to slow it down. And this actually comes before even Paul. And so I know that there is this philosophy in in the world today that that the resurrection is something that the church created hundreds of years after, and that's just not the case. Matter of fact, this New Testament, this this early church creed shows that this is what the church believed right after the resurrection. This is what the apostles believed. Taught, those who saw Jesus come back to life, and so here Paul said, or yeah, here Paul says, I delivered you as of first importance. That is, this is very, very important. All right, we can say this: if Paul was writing writing like his uh, his statement of faith for his church, this is the verses that he would use. If if he had his his church doctrine laid out and he was handing it out at the door as you left, he would say, I want you to know this. And he would give you these things. So these things were very important to Paul. These were very important to the church. And these are very important to us as well. And so I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Again, this is the idea of I received it and I'm passing it on. It did not originate with Paul. And yet, uh, instead, Paul is using it. And why is Paul using it? Because he's, he's getting a kind of a common, um, a common benchmark for the rest of the church. So he says, okay, there's some of you that you don't believe there is a resurrection from the dead for believers. But we all agree that Jesus Christ did in fact die for our sins and come back to life. So he actually uses the church creed to argue his point that we too will have a resurrection. And so notice as we kind of get into that creed, that second part of verse 3 This is the the very first point, and the very first point which the church is built upon, and even our church today is built upon, Christ died for our sins and according with the scriptures. All right, so if you're taking notes today, this would be number one, Christ died for our sins, all right? Number one, Christ died for our sins. Now, this is very important. During Christ's ministry, he spoke about his death and resurrection. It wasn't something that he hid It wasn't a surprise to him. It wasn't. It was kind of a surprise to the disciples, but it shouldn't have been a a surprise to the disciples uh, because he had spoken about it often. Matter of fact, the Old Testament also speaks about it. This is in Isaiah 53. Now, this is written way before Jesus Christ was ever born in a manger in Bethlehem. This is before his earthly ministry. This is, this is back in the Old Testament, uh, prior to Christ. And so notice what this prophet says. This is talking about the Messiah, the Savior. And notice what this prophet says. This is in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so as we think about what was written in the Old Testament... ...about that, that Messiah, that Savior... We must first know that the Old Testament points to a suffering Savior, a Savior that would come and die in our place. And so this was not a surprise. It wasn't a surprise to Christ. Christ came with a purpose, and that was to lay down his life. Matter of fact, this is Christ's words. As he's teaching here in Matthew 12, 40, it says this, For just as Jonah... Was, uh, "...was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish... ...so will the Son of Man, he's referring to himself... ...be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." Now, what is he speaking to in the heart of the earth? Well, he's talking about being buried. And so Jesus Christ, he taught the fact that he would one day die. It wasn't something that he hid. And so the very first thing for us to understand... Is that Christ died for our sins? That He wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. Instead, He came with a purpose, and that purpose was to die for our sins. He knew it was coming. Of course, when God created everything, it was very good. Matter of fact, this comes from uh, the creation account found in Genesis, in Genesis uh, one thirty-one. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was notice very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day that's the last day of creation and the last day of creation after he had made everything all the animals and plants and stars and water and land and even human beings adam and eve he saw everything and he said it was very good that's the idea of perfect like top to bottom, left to right, as far as you could go, it was perfect, it was complete. And so Jesus, our God spoke about the creation as being very good, but of course we look around on the world today and we would say that the world is not very good. Matter of fact, there's a lot of heartache and sorrow in the world today. Matter of fact, we could point to, we could probably bring up illustrations of how the world today is not Very good, as God said it was in the creation account. And that is because sin came into the world. And imagine if you had like a, a beautiful mural on the wall that took a long time to make, and that was creation, but the mankind came back with some spray paint and tagged on it. And marred that perfect creation. And of course, how did that happen? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, we find out that Adam and Eve are, are told that, you know what, you can eat of, of every fruit of the tree, but this one tree don't eat of. And in, in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes by. There's actually a, a warning attached to that command, which is, if you eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you will surely die. And so the serpent came by and he said, "Will you surely die. I know, God doesn't want you to eat of the fruit, because if you do, you'll be like him. God's just holding you back. And so Adam and Eve, they had a choice. Do I believe God or do I believe this serpent? And it says that Eve looked at that fruit and it looked good to eat. And, and she did want to be like God. And so she took it and she ate it and she passed it off to, to Adam and he did the same thing. He ate it as well. And their eyes were open. They didn't just know what, what right and wrong was, but instead they experienced what wrong was and sin came into the world. But God already had a rescue plan. Because God is a good God. He didn't say, oh, yeah, you guys blew it. So uh, you guys are just going to have to uh, go down this path and it's going to lead to destruction and I'm, I'm sorry for you. Um, ...but that's, that's what you chose. Instead, right after the fall in chapter 3... ...God gives to Adam and Eve that he already has a rescue plan for mankind. And so we see that rescue plan in, in uh, verse 15. And so uh, God tells Adam and Eve this... ...I will put enmity between you and the woman... ...and between your offspring and her offspring... He shall bruise your hill and you shall bruise, uh, sorry, bruise your head and you shall bruise his hill. And so what God is saying is, you know what? There's gonna be a blow, a fatal blow to sin and Satan. And that fatal blow is Jesus Christ. But there will not be a fatal blow to Jesus Christ. Yes, he did die. Yes, he was buried. But he had power over death. He came back to life. And so there was not a fatal blow that kept him in the grave. Because the grave could not hold him. And so right there in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. But then we see God's rescue plan. That God is going to send someone to rescue mankind from their sin. And so everything that God created was good But now as we think about the world today, there's sickness and death and and war and famine and natural disasters. But could you imagine a world with none of that? No hospitals, no tornadoes, no flooding. One day the world will be again like that. And so this prophecy of and in in uh, verse fifteen here, this prophecy is most closely connected to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Christ's death would deal a fatal blow to Satan and sin, but not a fatal blow uh, to Jesus. And so, this is First uh, Peter three eighteen. As we think about uh, Christ's death, it says this: For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might. Bring us to God. Again, as we think about this idea of Christ's death according to the scriptures, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And this is what Peter says. For Christ suffered, what he's talking about is suffered on the cross there, once for sins, all right? He died in our place. He was perfectly righteous, all right? He never made a mistake. He never back talked to his parents. He never stole, never cheated, never lied. He lived up to God's law and yet never broke God's law. He was completely righteous, and he died for those who are, the Bible says, unrighteous, those of us who have lied, and have cheated, and have stole, and and have disobeyed our parents, and have been angry without a cause. And so uh, Christ died in our place, and notice, why did he die? That he might bring us God. matter of fact, one of the I am statements that Jesus Christ says in in the Gospel of John is... ...I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the door of the sheep. He was talking about the door into heaven. He said, I am the light and the life. He said, really, if we want new life, we must come through him. And so Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins. And so we see that very first core belief that the church taught. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. We cannot, as Christians, divorce the church from Jesus Christ's death. If we do that, we no longer have Christianity. If you try to do that as a believer, you you just can't. It has to be one of the fundamentals that we believe that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die for our sins. But there's a second part in this, in this creed, another core belief that is equally important to Christ's death. Now, Christ's death is very, very important to our, our salvation. But there is something that is equally important to, to his death, which is this. Christ is risen that Christ is risen. As you think about that creed there in verse 4, it says this, and he was buried, and then he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And so people saw him. People ate with him. People saw him ascend into heaven. We're going to look at that in just a second. But he did, in fact, come back. Matter of fact, um, Thomas, we think about doubting Thomas. Thomas said, you know what, and... And he was very like, you know what? I'm not going to take your word for it. I got to see Jesus for myself. And everyone else was saying, oh, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. Thomas says, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. I got to see him for myself, and I'll believe. And, and Jesus showed Thomas and said, Thomas, look at my hands, touch my hands. Thomas, look at my side, touch my side. It is me. I've come back to life. And Thomas felt him, he wasn't a spirit. Thomas didn't go to touch him and his hand went through Jesus. No, instead, he had a physical body... ...like one day we will have new resurrected bodies. And so, uh, this is the second part of that creed. Christ is risen. The Old Testament scriptures... ...pointed to the fact of a suffering Savior... ...but not just a Savior who would die but also a Savior who had come back to life as we saw in Genesis 3.15. The risen Savior validates Jesus as that promised Messiah. Without the resurrection, there would be no validation. We, we, we would really be uh, trusting a, a story. But the resurrection does validate both who the Messiah is based upon God's word, but also validates ...Jesus Christ's own words. Because Jesus Christ taught his death, burial, and resurrection. So we see this. This is recorded for us in Matthew. This is one of the Gospels. So Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. And they were gathered in Galilee. Jesus said to them, "...the Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men." And notice his words here. "...and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day..." And they were greatly distressed. Here he is, he's talking to his disciples. Still, even though he tells them very directly, let me tell you what's going to happen to me. Men are going to capture me. They're going to kill me. And I'm going to come back to life. And still they were like, we don't understand. We don't understand what's going on here. You're Jesus. How could anybody put you to death? And they didn't understand that Jesus Christ was going to willingly... Laid down his life. And so Jesus Christ talked about it repeatedly. Matter of fact, he talked about it so much that it wasn't just his inner group that had that knowledge. Also, the religious leaders that actually despised Jesus knew of his resurrection. So let me show you that. And so this is also in Matthew. This is in Matthew 27. And so I noticed um, and said, Sir, we were. Yeah, sir, so we remember how the imposter, they're referring to Jesus, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. So they remembered some words of Jesus. And, and the, the religious leaders were like, wait a second, I remember something that he said. He said after three days he was going to come back to life. And so notice what they did. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Okay, what is the religious leaders doing here? Let me tell you what the religious leaders are doing here. And so what they're doing is they're saying, okay, let's go ahead and and put some guards outside of the tomb. If Jesus Christ resurrects, or if he comes back to life on day four, then he's not who he said he was. Because he said he's going to come back to life on day three. So guess what? We only have to guard the tomb for... Three days. If his body goes missing after a week, that's fine, because he said he's going to come back in three days. And so th- they were really hoping that, you know what, if, if Jesus Christ is not who he says he is, we're going to guard it. We're going to make sure that nobody comes in and steals that body, and after three days, we're going to have proof Jesus Christ is not who he said he is. Everything that he said should not be trusted. That's what the religious leaders thought. So they had heard what Jesus Christ said. They knew that if they could just keep that tomb sealed for more than three days, that would be that that nail in the coffin. That would be proof that Jesus Christ was not who he said he was. But of course we know that Jesus Christ did in fact come back to life. Those guards that were outside the tomb, when they saw that angel, it says they fell down as dead men. They went back to those religious leaders and they told them everything that would happen. ...had happened, and you know what the religious leaders told them? Oh, tell them that you fell asleep and the disciples stole his body. And still, really, that is the, kind of the same thing that is, is circulated today. Jesus Christ didn't really come back to life. Maybe his disciples stole his body, or, or maybe he wasn't really dead... Maybe somehow he was able to roll, cross, roll back that stone after being on the cross and being dead in the, or, or laying in a tomb for three days. He was, over, he was able to overpower the guards and, and, and free himself. And then he made himself look like he came back to life. That's something that people believe. They believe Jesus Christ didn't really die, he just laid in the tomb, and the cold air woke him up. And he rolled back the stone, he overpowered the guards. And he came to his disciples and said, look, I've been resurrected. And of course, when we hear that, we think, well, that sounds more crazy than the first. If Jesus Christ said he was going to come back to life, that's probably what happened, because that other thing doesn't sound like it could actually happen. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And so Paul is, is going through this argument about, ...the resurrection of the believer... ...and again, he starts with this, this early church creed... That, ...that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures... And ...that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. And so he says, we all, we all agree... ...these two things are the, the pillars of our Christianity. He says, if Jesus Christ did not come back to life... ...if Christ was not been raised then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And so Paul's argument is this. Okay, if we don't believe that we will one day have a new body because we want to be free from any type of physical body, then why would Jesus Christ want another physical body? Why wouldn't he want to be free like we are? And so Paul has this argument just as he is so we will be if he's not if he didn't come back to life we won't come back to life and our faith is in vain but he did come back to life therefore we too will have a resurrection and so we see that in verse 17 it says this and if christ had been raised your faith is futile and you're still in your sins but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those We have fallen asleep. And and this idea of uh, first fruits, the idea is like a a prototype. And so we're familiar with this idea of a prototype. Whenever, let's say, like uh, a car company comes out and, and they're building a new car, normally they have a prototype, and then they kind of like work out the bugs... ...and then technology does this as well... ...whether it's Apple or, or Google... ...normally they have a prototype of what they would like to do... ...and normally it's big and bulky... ...and then they refine it down... ...and then one day we have a new iPhone... ...or, or a new Google Pixel... ...and there's a, there's a prototype that they start with... ...and, and then they, they refine it... ...well Jesus Christ is the first fruits... ...it is what will happen... ...so the fact that Jesus Christ came back... ...you could touch him... He ate food. He wasn't a spirit. He had a physical body. Paul says, therefore, we too will have a physical body. And notice here in verse 21, for as by man came death, he's talking about Adam, but by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. He's now talking about Jesus Christ. And notice here in verse 22, for as in Adam all die. Again, we looked at that. Adam and Eve sinned. They had a choice. Do I believe God or do I believe this serpent? They believed the serpent and sin came into the world and death with it. And so this world has been marred. For in Adam all die. We know that. Everyone passes away at one time or another. But, it says, so also in Christ shall be made alive. So there is a resurrection to come. So for believers, we have hope a hope that the world does not have. And so the the world, unbelievers, they look at death... and, and it's heartbreaking for them... because they have no hope that they'll see their loved one or their friend again. But as Christians, we have real hope. And it's all connected to the resurrection that we celebrate today. Again, because Christ came back to life... Paul's argument is this... we too will come back to life... He is the first fruits. He is the prototype. Because he came back to life, we too will have a resurrection. We too will see believers that has passed before us. And we too will have fellowship. Again, whenever I have an opportunity uh, to do a, a memorial or a, or a funeral, I always remind, and, and, and some of the most joyful times that, that I have during those, those events is when someone is a Christian. Because I can turn out and I can look to everyone and say, Hey, you know what? We made a lot of good memories uh, with them when they were on earth, but we're just getting started. Because one day we will see them again, and we will make brand new memories in glory. And that's the hope that we have as Christians. And so we see those two pillars of the church, those two uh, points in that creed. First of all, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again, that he rose from the grave, according to the the scriptures. These are the two fundamental truths of the gospel. It is the picture that we see in baptism, one of the two ordinances of the church. The work of redemption is complete, but the work of Christ on this earth is not finished, because Christ will return. So in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. They thought the Messiah was going to set up his kingdom when he first came. But actually, his first coming was to really save us from what we needed salvation from, which is our sin and to have a resurrection. But there's going to be a second coming of Jesus Christ. He's going to come again, and then he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. We are waiting for that. We are waiting for that. And so um, it's actually one of the ordinances. So one of the ordinances of the church is, is uh, baptism. The other ordinance of the church is the Lord's Supper, and we do that almost every month here at Wilson Bible Church. I, uh, one time I was, I was teaching a bunch of teenagers, and um, we were talking about the ordinances of the church, and I said, so what are the two ordinances of the church? And they're like, hmm, baptism, and what is the other one? Hmm, and so they were kind of, I could see the wheels spinning in their, in their heads. And, and so I gave them a little hint. I was like, okay, it's something that we do here often. And they said, oh. And then I could see, they, they started to get it. And one of the kids raised their hand and they said, potlucks. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, not potlucks. Though we do do that a lot here. No, it's the Lord's Supper. And so one of the ordinances is all about the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins he was buried, and then he rose again. That's the picture of baptism. It's going underneath the water and coming back uh, out of the water, showing the resurrection. And so when someone gets baptized, and a believer's baptism, they're saying this, I want everyone to know, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins, he was buried, and then he rose again. But in communion, there's another picture. The picture is this, we remember Jesus Christ's death But we also remember that he's coming again. Let me show you. And so Paul uh, speaks of this. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so actually every time we have the Lord's Supper, it points us to the fact that Jesus Christ is one day going to come again. And so his work on earth is not done. Salvation is complete. We have everything that we need to have a relationship with God. But one day he will come again, he will set up his kingdom on earth. So Jesus Christ is not finished. He will return. And so we get to worship a risen Savior, not a dead Savior. Go ahead and open up to uh, Acts chapter 1. So so flip back in your Bible. It's not too far from where you are right there. Just back a couple of books there. Acts chapter 1. We're almost done today, but notice there in, in Acts chapter 1, I'm not going to put the slides uh, up on the wall for all of these verses, but starting in verse 6, and, and uh, follow along as I read, it says this, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, again, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for God's kingdom, and uh, instead he came to, to uh, have victory over sin and death. In verse 7, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and seasons the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's actually our theme verse uh, for this year. And in verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as they went, as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, "'Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? "'This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, "'will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven.'" And so these, maybe there were two angels, two prophets, here they are in, in white apparel, and, and they're speaking to those that saw the ascension... And they're why are you looking up? Don't you realize he's going to come back? He's going to come back and set up his kingdom. And so the Lord will return. Just as it's a fact that he came, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again. It is a fact that he will one day come again. And so there in verse 11, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the heaven, this Jesus who has taken up for you, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Matter of fact, this is the words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we're looking at, so the, the, the tenets of the church, the pillars of the church, the, the fundamental doctrine of the church, that Paul gives us this early church creed. Christ died for our sins, and according to the scriptures, so very important. important that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures, These two things have to be there for us to be saved. We cannot divorce them. We cannot deny one. They they both must be there for us to be believers, for us to have hope of a resurrection. So Paul makes that clear in, in chapter 15. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. And so the word, the works of salvation is complete But Christ's work on this earth is just getting started. One day he will return. Christ came to die for our sins. He took upon himself our punishment so that we might have victory over death and sin. So that we might live with him uh, forever. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the resurrection. We think about uh, what it means for us as Christians. It's not simply that uh, you died for us. It's not that you were in the wrong place at the wrong time or you said the wrong thing and you, you made some people angry. But instead, really, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. There was a rescue plan already in place from the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 that you would, in fact, die. that You would, would in fact, come back to life. And so the Old Testament points to the fact that you would die for our sins you be buried, that you rose again. Your word indicates that as well. Your word is truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so your words, again, advocate that that we we can trust that you are the Savior because you did come back to life just as you said you would. So, Lord, we thank you for dying for us. We thank you for being buried. We thank you for rising again so that we too may have hope that this is not the end, that this life is not the end when we die, but instead we'll be given a new resurrected body. We will have fellowship with believers once again. We will see our friends and our loved ones once again because of the hope we have in Christ. Now, with everyone's head bowed and everyone's eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. We've been talking about the gospel today, and we've been celebrating a very important thing in, in Christianity, the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins the fact that he was buried and that fact that he rose again uh, for us. So maybe you're here today and you've never joined into a relationship uh, with with Jesus Christ. That is the most important decision you can make in this life. Not who you're going to marry, not uh, what job you're going to have, not where you're going to live. Those are all important decisions. But the most important decision is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And today, Easter Sunday would be a great day if you've never done that. And so maybe the Lord is working in your heart. Maybe you're an unbeliever and you've never started a relationship with the Lord. And and, uh, I'm just going to have you raise your hand and and just say, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord is working in my heart. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to find you after the service. I'm just going to pray for you. Who with an upraised hand would say, Pastor, pray for me. God is working in my heart. Please pray for me. All right, if you're a Christian here today, we should be joyful as Christians. I mean, we get to celebrate one of the greatest holidays we have in the U.S. I mean, Christmas is great. We get to celebrate uh, the, the birth of the King. Thanksgiving is great. We get to be thankful for everything that Jesus Christ has done. But Easter is so important to our salvation. And so we should be joyful because we don't serve a dead Savior that is in the ground like many other religions do when they think about their prophets. But we serve a risen Savior who is at the right hand of God. And so may we be joyful, not only today, but this month and this year, because whatever life throws at us, we can know that Jesus Christ walked in our place, died in our place, and came back to life. Lord, we do thank you for being our high Priest. Lord, we think about uh, if if you were a God that was just completely separated from us, you wouldn't know what it meant to to hunger. You wouldn't know what it meant to, to desire. You wouldn't know what it meant to need things. And yet you sent your Son to walk in mankind's place. But not only to live under the law without breaking the law, but you sent your Son to die in our place, to take upon himself our sin that his righteousness would be applied to our life. Thank you that we can put our trust in that because of the resurrection. That it points to the fact that you received that perfect sacrifice. For the fact that it was, he was exactly who he said he was, the son of man, the son of God. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done. It's it's not because we sought you out But, Lord, it's because you sought us out, because you are a good and merciful God. And thank you for extending your hand to us so that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, help us to be joyful as Christians. Lord, as we come in contact with people in the world, they're struggling. But, Lord, help us to be joyful because of what you're doing, the fact that you came back to life, the fact that one day, though this world seems like it's so chaotic We know one day you will come again and you will set all these things straight. And so, Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for your death and thank you for your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.